0: Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Welcome to Pleasant Street uh, Christian Reformed Church. Uh, Welcome to those of you here in the room with us getting settled. Welcome to those of you joining us online, uh, either with our live stream or after the fact sometime this week. Uh, It's good to see all of you this morning on this sunny, balmy Sunday. Uh, I was standing outside and thinking, my goodness, it's shorts weather uh, almost just about compared to yesterday. Uh, What a difference. Um, It's good to have the the sunshine back. It's good to see all of you this morning. Uh, As we get started for worship this morning, uh, some of us are new, we're visiting, welcome, uh, household items to highlight for you when we worship as a church. Uh, If you haven't done that with us before, if you're new to church in general, we do so using words in a liturgy, and we also use words printed on the screen. Those are the things that we'll sing and say together throughout our worship. There's also notes about things happening in the life of our church uh, if you're interested in knowing more. Right now, as a church, we've been talking a lot about connecting and reconnecting as we're all trying to find um, ourselves again and the things that are important to us after the pandemic. Uh, And if that is you, one of the things we wanted to highlight for you about getting connected and getting to know us at Pleasant Street is we have a membership conversation class opportunity coming up. Uh, We're going to do that on two Wednesday nights. Uh, on February 15th and March 22nd. And if you'd like to know more, there's information in your bulletin about that. Um, and if you're interested in finding out more, you can talk to me, uh, either in person or find me uh, at my email address, which is also conveniently located for you in this bulletin. That being said, Freds, would you rise and body your spirit as we begin our worship together? We gather together in the presence of God, the Lord of heaven and earth.
1: The creator of our world and everything in it. The one who
0: gave us life and breath. The one who is never far away from any of us.
1: The one in whom we live and move and have our being.
2: Friends, you may be seated. Jesus said, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Eternal God, we confess that often we have failed to be obedient, church.
1: Jesus said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. We against your love. We
0: have not our We have not heard the cries of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful
2: obedience. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Let's take a moment in a silent confession to God. Hear now God's assurance of pardon.
1: But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of any works of righteousness that we had done, but according to his mercy, through the water of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit.
3: This Spirit he poured out on us richly, through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by grace, we might have become heirs according to the hope of eternal life.
2: So one of the ways that we can respond to God in the morning uh, here at church is uh, through our offering. Um, whether that's financial or given our talents or time, uh, I'd like to highlight one of our ministries here, our worship ministry. Uh, so you see us up here a lot, um, but you don't see the back backend, uh, people that are up there that are running camera and sound um, and slides and our live stream sound. Um, so we're we're actually currently looking for volunteers. So if that's something that you're feeling your heart is drawing you into, uh, it's you don't have to have a talent in it. Um, we will train. Um, we will gladly show you how to how to you know do the ropes. Uh, so with that, let's let's pray for our offering this morning. I'd like to invite our deacons to come up to help with the baskets. So let's pray. Lord, you are an abundant God. You have given us so much. We can respond to you this morning. Uh, With our gifts. Um, Thank you so much, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. rise in body or spirit. The peace of Christ is with you. Also with you. Let's take a moment to extend that peace of Christ to your neighbors around you.
1: All the kids, they're just fourth or second grade, come up here to be dismissed for Kid Street. People of God, what is our prayer? To love and serve Jesus.
4: Good morning. My name is Tony Brookhouse. I'm one of the elders here at Pleasant Street, and it's my privilege to open us up in prayer. Please bow your heads. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, as we enter into the second month of a new year, I am reminded of the words of Philippians 4. Do not be anxious for anything, but in, every, in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. We have multiple requests for our church family, Lord. Be with the Stinson family after the passing of Karen. Comfort them in this difficult time. Be with Richard M., Carol L., Cindy H., and Maggie. Be with all the people that suffered uh, broken pipes and water damage over this last cold spell. Bless all involved in this church and its community and mission here in the Blackstone Valley. Be especially with our pastor and his team as he delivers your word. Help us, Lord, to bring your words and teachings into our daily lives this coming week. Help heal our land and bring down the conflict we hear about every day. We pray this in your name alone. Amen.
5: Today's uh, scripture reading is taken from two uh, chapters of the Bible. The first reading will be from John 14, and then we'll continue on and read from Revelation chapter 10 with various verses interspersed. Starting with John 14, verse 15. If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. And now from Revelation chapter 10. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven. He was robed in a cloud with a rainbow above his head. His face was like the sun and his legs were like fiery pillars. He was holding a little scroll which lay open in his hand. He planted his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land and he gave a loud shout like the roar of a lion. When he shouted, the voices of the seven thunders spoke, and when the seven thunders spoke, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven say, seal up what the seven thunders have said and do not write it down. Then the voice that I had heard from heaven spoke to me once more, Go take the scroll that lies open in the hand of the angel who was standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and asked him to give me the little scroll. He said to me, take it and eat it. It will turn your stomach sour, but in your mouth it will be as sweet as honey. I took the little scroll from the angel's hand and ate it. It tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach turned sour. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Over the last couple of weeks, we've been looking together at some of the things that as a church we have said we'd like to be important to us, things that we'd like to be known for. Uh, mission and values in the life of our congregation in this next season of ministry. We're going to continue that together this morning. Please join me in a prayer. Lord Jesus, we live in a noisy world with a lot of different voices speaking, talking over each other, talking at the same time, all wanting us to pay attention to them. It can be hard to know who to listen to. And in the silence, their voices diminish a little bit, and we hear something different. We hear a voice that is full of love, singing calling to us. Would you help our ears to lock on to that one now? Amen. In Washington, D.C., there is a museum. And in the Smithsonian Museum, there is an exhibit. And in the exhibit is a glass case. And in the glass case is a book made of Bound pages with a leather cover from about the year 1820. And the book has a title, and the title goes like this The Life and Morals of Jesus of Nazareth, extracted textually from the Gospels in Greek, Latin, French, and English. And it was written by Thomas Jefferson. Of course, when I use the word written, I mean it loosely. Because actually, it was cut and pasted by Thomas Jefferson on a computer. Well, no, they didn't have those then. I mean, literally cut and pasted. Thomas Jefferson, who could read Greek and Latin and French and English, created this book. Thomas Jefferson um, took copies of the New Testament in all of those languages and then he took a razor and he cut out passages of the gospels that he felt were authentic. And then he pasted them interlinearly next to each other in a blank book and made a new one. And the end result was his version of the life and morals of Jesus of Nathers extracted textually from the Gospels in Greek and Latin and French and English. Gotta love accurate book titles. You know, do you know how long it took him to make this? Uh, two or three nights. It was February in 1804, and he says on two or three nights only at Washington after getting through the evening task of reading the letters and papers of the day, he compiled what he considered to be the essence of true religion in the Gospels. Or in other words, Thomas Jefferson, after a long day of statecraft, went home where he did all the bills and responded to his emails and then eased himself into a comfortable chair to unwind by compiling his own do-it-yourself Bible. Took him three days. Jefferson's Bible is astounding because he did it so fast, but also because it takes some kind of guts to make your own Bible. But this actually was a long project in the making for him because Jefferson had been thinking about and wrestling with Christianity for a long time before he ever. Took out the razor. You see, the Bible had become very scandalous to modern rational people like Thomas Jefferson. How could rational scientific persons believe and accept something as fabulous and fantastic as Christianity, and Jesus in particular, when there are all these stories in the Bible about miracles and claims about being God? Well, Jefferson, we see it, it's rather obvious. Jefferson believed that miracles couldn't possibly happen, so when he read the Bible, it was easy for him to cut them out. Right. It's very easy to see the beliefs that other people bring with them that color their reading of the Bible. But we should also know and remember that Jefferson wasn't trying to be ornery when he did this. He was trying to figure Jesus out on terms that he could understand. He wasn't looking for the historical Jesus on some quest. He was looking for the intelligible Jesus. Jefferson was smart. He could read the Bible in four or five languages, and yet for all of his literacy, he didn't know how to read Jesus. For Jesus told us that if we want to understand him, we will not get there by evaluating his words, parsing his words, but by keeping them. He tells us right here in John chapter 14, it's right here, he's speaking plainly, he's speaking to his disciples in a room just before his death, he says, if you love me, keep my commands. He didn't ask us to comprehend His commands in words. He asked asked us to keep them, to hold them. And in that simple, beautiful phrase, Jesus reveals to us a way to read that is a little bit foreign, reading as an act of love. And it's 200 years later, and we have much better dental hygiene than Jefferson did, But before we start congratulating ourselves, I'm not sure we're doing so much better when it comes to reading the Bible. Christians read the Bible. At Pleasant Street, we're saying that one of our values as a church is learning to receive God's Word, to read the Bible, to understand Christ's Word, to keep it. And maybe you're wondering why that is even worth putting on a page. Isn't that obvious? Right? Isn't that like Christianity 101, Christians read the Bible? Well, you would think so, right? Although some of the surveys that I've seen and maybe you have about Bible literacy would suggest otherwise. It might be more accurate to suggest that Christians have Bibles, And this is actually not so unlike the wider cultural landscape if we zoom out for a second and look at the rest of the world around us, right? If if modern people read at all, mostly we read for information, for comprehension, we read the headlines just for the jolt of the outrage. We read fast, we read distractedly, we read to master things, to get a grade, to get through something, to get it over with. Take a breath. Jesus is talking about a very different kind of reading. If you love me, keep my words. Jesus seems to be saying that you can't read Jesus' words the same way that you read a headline or a street sign or an owner's manual to a new television. Why? Because Jesus' words are a different kind of writing. And that means they require a different kind of reading. One of my favorite authors, Flannery O'Connor, the American gothic novelist from last century, uh, she was once asked by a reporter to summarize the meaning of one of her short stories. Put it in a nutshell, the reporter asked. She replied that if she could have done that, she would not have written the story. You tell a story, she writes, because a statement would be inadequate When anybody asks what a story is about, the only proper thing to tell them is to read the story. I like the feist. (laughs) Jesus, perhaps saying something not so dissimilar, is saying, If you want to read me, if you want to understand me, you must receive my words as a gift. And everybody knows that you don't put a gift under a microscope. You open them. You receive the gift. You enjoy it. My friends, to read Jesus, you don't need a PhD. You just need love. Well, of course, you use your mind. I don't mean to say that somehow, you know, it bypasses our intellect. That's not what I'm saying at all. Of course, you think when you receive the words of Jesus, but we need something more than just minds to receive Jesus. He tells us we also need not just the words itself, but we need a reading partner. We need an interpreter who can whisper the truth of the words, translate the words, point our finger to the words and keep us focused, helping us with our spelling and grammar and sounding out the syllables of the words along with us. Can you tell we're learning to read in my household right now? And Jesus says, this this is what I'm going to give you. The spirit of truth, he calls him, who will be with you, who will be in you who will remind you of everything that I have said. You don't have to worry about trying to hold it all at once. I will call it to mind and lead you into all truth when you need it. You know, after Jesus goes up to heaven, one of the first questions becomes, how is anyone going to know Him and know how to follow Him? Well, you have the apostles, Right? That's why they have such an important job. They tell the stories, people listen to them, tell the stories, but then the apostles die. How do we follow Jesus now? You read the story with a reading partner, with a friend. My friends, the church has understood for centuries that the way that we continue to follow Jesus is not by licking a finger and sticking it in the wind and going with your holy hunch about what seems good. It is not by just going with what, like, your intuition suggests might be what God is telling you, but by committing ourselves, devoting ourselves with an act of love to these words from Jesus as a gift to us by His Spirit. To read Jesus is to keep the words in the text and the spirit who is alive together. Jesus says, keep my words and receive my spirit. And the two combine into a practice that we might call spiritual reading. And Jesus tells us what happens when we learn to read like this. We will see Jesus in the world with eyes that the world cannot see Jesus with. We will come alive with a new quality of life right here and right now, a kind of life that you could only call resurrection life. The world somehow becomes more vivid and more real, not less, like putting on a pair of glasses for the first time and realizing that each individual leaf on the tree has its own definition and color and variegated beauty. And Jesus says, when you learn to read spiritually, you will come to realize the incredible intimacy between me and my Father, and to know that same intimacy yourself. When we read spiritually, we will come to know what love is. And then in love, we will return to the words that we have received And love them all the more. Finding more reasons to fall in love with the God who has shown love to us. Returning to the words to fall in love with them again. Do you see? Do you see how Christian reading is not quite like other reading? Today in town, right here in our town, there are probably more than a few people who would say that the Bible, that religion and its formal uh, functions and forms is a straitjacket. You can't take an ancient piece of mail, literally. You can't set your watch by it. You can't bet your life on it. And actually, to be honest, we might wonder that too. What Jesus is telling us is that the Bible doesn't limit our experience of reality, it actually enlarges it. It's like we live in a warehouse with dirty windows, and the Bible is our door to a world of light and sky and color and beauty we have yet to experience and therefore can scarcely believe is possible. How could we when we have spent our whole lives under corrugated steel roofs and tile ceilings? The Bible puts us in touch with spiritual reality. That's Why? We read it. Jesus says, this is how you read me. And if this is reading, if this is what it means to read Jesus, I'm not sure we're doing much better than Jefferson. In his book, The Listening Life, Adam McHugh tells a story about how one Sunday, uh, he's a seminary-trained pastor and theologian, and he went to his church while in seminary, and there's a guest preacher that Sunday, and the preacher climbed into the pulpit, and he held up a tattered Bible, and he said, get familiar with this book. It is a handbook for life management. It so happened that on that same Sunday, McHugh was sitting next to a woman who audibly groaned apparently loud enough that several people sitting around her turned in their pews to look in her direction. McHugh had to swallow a guffaw. He came to find out after the service that the woman who had groaned was a dignified professor of preaching at a large seminary. They shared a quiet laugh while the preacher very consistently applied the biblical text to all sorts of practical matters like your diet, your finances, and national security. And McHugh uses the story to point out, a little bit tongue-in-cheek, how we read the Bible today. Today, he writes bumper sticker theologians or Twitter theologians encourage us to treat the Bible as an instruction manual or a safety net, to use it like a medicine chest or an encyclopedia of religious ideals more sophisticated approaches encourage us to see it like a museum that houses ancient relics and historical records, an impersonal artifact to be studied. But, he writes, when we see the Bible like this, we forget how to read it, and we can wind up like Thomas Jefferson taking a razor to the Bible and excising all of the miracle out of it. If we're honest, what all these methods have in common... Is that they protect us from a personal encounter. McHugh is not saying that the Bible has no practical bearing on our lives. The problem is not how and where and when it's applicable. But in the, in the shift between subject and object, we imagine, he says, that the Bible is something to be studied, to be grasped, to be comprehended, to be evaluated, to be dissected, to be applied. The Word of God is something we use. If you have a curious mind, if you like a challenge, you can become a scholar of the Bible. If you want to know how to live well in the world and raise your children right, you can read it for good advice, become healthy, wealthy, and wise. If life is boring or underwhelming, you can read it for inspirational quotes and moral uplift, a cheering section to get your life back on track. But what all of those readings have in common is that you can read them in all of these ways and never once encounter the living God. We can use the Bible for all kinds of things, and people do. But reading for usefulness, writes C.S. Lewis, is bad reading. Love the British calling it like it is. Good reading, however, writes C.S. Lewis, happens when we learn how to receive. Receiving something written allows us to use our senses and our imagination and various other powers to experience what the author is wanting to tell us. Oh, my friends, you can read the Bible in a year if you work at it, but would it not be more fruitful for a whole year to let the Bible read you? Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commands, and I will give you the Spirit so that you can. What Jesus is telling us is how to read his words, his commands, his life. It's not something we have to figure out how to assimilate into our lives. He assimilates us into his. And the spirit of truth creates an encounter with the truth. With Jesus. With his father. My friends, we don't read the words of Jesus for any other reason than because we love Him. And loving Him, we love what He says. And the Spirit of truth is the one that guides us into the truth that through these words, somehow, Jesus Himself is calling us by name. You know, your significant other, your spouse, if you are married, doesn't want you to sit across from them at dinner and take notes on their recounting of their day. They want you to be attentive to their cadence, to notice the way that she phrases that and wonder, why did he say it that way? To ask questions, to hang on her words, to hang on his words, to listen with your head and your body angled toward them, totally focused, attending to their words and thus to their person, to bring all of yourself to to his words. And if we love that person, this is what we will want to do too. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my words. I think what Jesus wants us to realize is that listening to Scripture requires more than just being able to read Greek or Latin or French or English. It requires more than a dictionary. It requires humility and surrender and trust and hope, and all of the things that come from love. And my friends, thanks be to God, none of us has to be a seminary professor to do this. Reading the Bible, even careful study of the Bible, writes Eugene Peterson, you know, it's nothing more than a careful and loving reading of the text in our mother tongue. If you know Greek and Hebrew, great, but you don't need it. Too many Bible readers, he writes, assume that exegesis, a fancy word about the study of the text of the Bible, that's what you do after you have learned Greek and Hebrew, and it's simply not true. Exegesis is loving God enough to stop and listen carefully to what he says. We bring all of the leisure and attentiveness of lovers to this text. Lovers, Don't take a quick look, get a message, and then run off and talk endlessly with their friends about how they feel. Christians read the Bible, but it's not like code in a computer, it's dialogue with a lover. My friends, these are not words that we have to figure out how to actualize into our lives, but a story to listen to like children reading a picture book with their parents' eyes wide, body totally dialed into this story as though they are about to fall into it. Christians read the Bible, but the Bible, it's not like code in a computer. It doesn't work quite like that. It's more like seeds in the soil like food on the table. In Revelation 10, John is on the island of Patmos. He is in prison. He is in prison and yet somehow caught up right in the middle of his cell into this immense... And dramatic vision, and a ginormous angel stands with one foot in the ocean and one foot on the land, and he's straddling the whole world, clothed in a cloud with a rainbow over his head, and he begins to preach, and it sounds like thunder. Best sermon he has ever heard talk about a stirring and magnificent dramatic story. And John gets out a pen and a paper, he's gonna take notes on the sermon. John says, Wait slow down, let me write this down, but the angel says, don't write it down. What do you mean, don't write it down? How am I going to remember this sermon? The angel says, here, eat this. Take it. Eat it. Eat this book. Friends, you don't have to be a seminary professor to read the Bible spiritually. Actually, all you really have to do Is be hungry. So, it's no secret that Christians and Christianity are struggling in North America, right? There are the usual diagnoses. You've probably heard them all. I know I have. Christianity in North America, it's too rich, right? It's too comfortable. It's too convenient, too accommodated, right? Christianity is fat, flabby, lethargic, weak, overfed, overstuffed, out of shape. Maybe, yeah, but if you think about the state of reading, the way that Jesus is talking about it, perhaps our problem is actually that we're all starving. Spiritually starving for a, for a story, for a word. No, that's not quite it. What is it? An encounter with God himself who presents himself to us as food for our soul. Here, take it. Eat it. A mule Kyle was a professor of philosophy at Princeton Theological Seminary in the 20th century, not far from here. And Emile was born in France, uh, end of the 19th century. And one of the things that meant is that he grew up in agnostic, a learned, educated man. He graduated from university. Uh, he's heading toward ministry. He has not actually ever seen a Bible. And then he goes to the army, and he serves in World War I, and like so many other people, all the hopefulness that he had about the perfectibility of humanity, and things are just going to keep getting better, just falls apart. He writes, the inadequacy of my views on the human situation overwhelmed me. What use is the philosophic banter of the seminary when your own buddy dies standing in front of you? He himself almost dies when he catches a bullet, and he goes into rehab, and he spends the rest of the war recuperating during a long stay in the hospital. And after this crisis, Kyle begins reading literature and philosophy, but not just to pass the time. He's looking for something. He is looking for a book that will understand him that will speak to the situation that he finds himself in, and he cannot find one. And so what does he do? He decides he's going to make his own. So he's reading widely, and whenever he finds a passage that he likes, he cuts it out of the book, and he pastes it into a leather-bound pocket-sized book, and the number of quotations is starting to grow, and the book is almost finished, and he's getting better, and he's looking forward to reading it, hoping that it's going to, quote, lead him from fear and anguish to release and jubilation. One day, he goes out under a tree in his garden to read his do-it-yourself book. But as he's going, he's getting more and more disappointed. Because each quote, well, he reads it, and it takes him back to when it struck him. He's reading those quotes, and he's remembering, yeah, I remember who I was then and when it meant something to me, but he's realizing that I'm not that same person, and I'm in a different situation, and those words, they don't mean the same thing anymore. It's dry, it's toast, it's burnt, there's nothing to it. but almost at the very same moment his wife shows up and she'd been on a walk with her child in a baby carriage and she has with her a Bible in French that a minister just happened to hand to her on that walk. How about that? Kyle takes the Bible. She says, here, take it. He takes it and he starts to read the Gospels. And he read, and he read, and he read deep into the night until the realization dawned on him, I'll use his words, lo and behold. We don't talk like that anymore. Lo and behold, as I looked through the Gospels, the one who spoke and acted in them became alive to me. This is the book that would understand me. Kile spent a lot of time cooking up his own book and the meal didn't quite turn out. Here, his wife said, take this. And he read it. And he realized it was not an ancient book from a distant culture. It was food on the table. And he took it up and he read it voraciously. Or rather, maybe we should say, He sat down to eat it. You know, and as I look at his story here with you this morning, watching a starving man like that wolf down a meal as though for the first time in his life, it's Jesus' words that seem to come wafting up through the pages. Rich words and commands and promises spread out Like stories, like a savory feast. Something that looks like it could fortify us with the knowledge that God in his abundance of love has made room for someone like me at his table. Spread out, aromatic enough for me to believe that God has offered me the meat and potatoes of his salvation story, not because I earned it, but because he is a good cook and a lavish host. That in this world of starving people looking for an identity that will give them life and satisfaction, Jesus looks at us and calls us by name and gives us his identity. And suddenly we realize that nothing else will stick to our ribs in quite the same way. Watching someone like Kyle eat all this. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Pray with me. Oh, Almighty God, you pour out your spirit of grace and of supplication on all who desire it. We desire it because we understand that it is the spirit that takes the words on the page and turns them into a meal on the table. It is the spirit that whets our appetite helping us to see just how hungry we are for something that we have not quite found anywhere else. And it is the Spirit that opens our eyes to believe that we, that we right here today could taste and see that the Lord is good. Amen. Amen. As a church, one of the things that we've said is that our posture is to try to be people who are learning to do this, which is what I was just talking about now. But it's also something we're trying to find other ways to do besides just in the sermon. One of the ways that we do that is to create an opportunity for our third and fifth grade students to have a chance to connect with some of our church leaders to talk about the things that they're hearing and learning when we worship together. So we're going to do that now. I want to invite our third through fifth graders to come forward because we have a blessing for you guys. And while they're making their way up, I'll mention another one, which is that uh, in the last year, we were spending some time doing a sermon discussion group, and after a brief hiatus uh, for the winter and the new year, we're going to be restarting that actually this Sunday So you're all welcome uh, to join us for that. That starts right beneath where you're sitting, down in the foundation at 11.05. And we'll we'll announce it when it's time to go down together for that. Hey, it's just you and me, I guess, right? Okay, well, we can do this, all right? People of God, what is our prayer? Almighty and loving God, thank you for the gift of your word. So this is us. Help us to believe what we have heard and live in ways that honor you above all. Amen. Nicely done, Garrett. Go in love to uh, love and, what? Go in peace to love and serve Jesus. Speaking of reading, right? Anyway, uh, where am I? Uh, yeah. Um, friends, let's respond to God together. Would you rise in body and spirit? Let's sing, rejoice in all your works. creation, joining in the praise chorus of God, whose story is very, very good, and who, (laughs) for whatever reasons he would choose, has chose to include us in that story. And even as we are learning to receive that, we have one more chance to practice that posture, because this God who tells his story to us also promises that he has turned his face toward us. And so, friends, I'd invite you uh, to... Open your hands and to receive God's parting blessing. Friends, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace. Amen. Let's go singing.
3: I believe in the sun. Hallelujah. Mm-hmm.
2: Friends, go now in peace to love and serve Jesus Christ.